I wanted you to see that video because it is about the Great Commission, and it shows the Great Commission, and that will be our text today. So if you're following along, along in the Bible, you want to look at it, it's going to be Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read verses uh, 19, 18, 19, and 20, really just 19 and 20. That'll be my focus today. Let me give you kind of a... Uh, update as to where we are, because I want you to know where we are in this series. Um, we had to break it up one week because we did something a little different for graduation and Mother's Day and that kind of thing. But this is the third week of four, and we've been talking about open door. That's why you see that when you come in, everything's open door. And it's all built off of the scripture in Revelation 3.20, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. He will dine with me. Uh, dine with him and he with me. I know I skipped ahead, but just hold on for that, okay? So that's the scripture. And, and that, that text comes out of Revelation 3, where Jesus is talking directly to a church. And it's, it's really a sad, sad picture. Because Jesus is saying to the church, hey, you're in there, but I'm out here. And he's saying, I'm knocking on the door. I want to come in. We need to fellowship together. And if you hear my voice and you'll open the door... I'll come in and we'll fellowship together. We'll sit down. We'll have a meal. And by the way, isn't that still how we do fellowship? Like we're Baptists. We just like fellowship and food. They always go together. But even when you're not Baptist, you do that, right? I mean, isn't that like if you call somebody say, hey, let's go get something to eat. That's what you do. Or come over to my house. I'm going to do a cookout or I'm going to make dinner for us or something. And we, we sit around the table. We talk. We eat. We just that's what we do. It's fellowship. Um, I know we can have fellowship without food. I get that. But it's better with food. Right? It's been that way forever, and in the first century, it was such a big deal. That was such a big deal, because for the Jewish people especially, the, you know, all the disciples were, were Jewish people, and, and for them to sit down at a meal, they were very particular. Like They wouldn't sit down with just anybody. They only sat down with people they liked. Can you imagine how hard it was for Jesus to change that? Like all their life, they've been taught, you sit down and you get a meal with these people, not those people, because these people are our people, and those people are not. And Jesus came along and said, y'all got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. You got to change that. The fellowship is open to everyone. And it was a huge mindset change for them. And so when Jesus is now speaking to a church in Revelation 3 and saying, you've left me out of your fellowship, that's bad. Because it basically means that, you know, people like us, we have the possibility of gathering together, going through the motions, doing all of our things. And Jesus is not really part of it. That would be awful. So that's what this is about. It's about open door. It's about how do we open the door? How do we make sure that Jesus is here with us? You know, what do we do? And so we've been walking through these things, and this is there. So we started with house rules. And who remembers house rule number one? No one sits alone. That's exactly right. What is My wife is running right now. Thank you. Thank you. She chose to sit there, but that's a different story. But that, again, that's a very practical practical thing like if you want to make sure Jesus is here he's with us and 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 we are opening the door okay y'all are moving all right yeah oh I got you okay nobody sits alone Jessica's not here today so that's what we do and and, it, and it's real practical stuff it's not I mean prayer is important we're going to talk about prayer but it's it's really really practical stuff like just look around make sure nobody sits alone you want to make sure the Lord is here and he ministers to people, then just, you know, don't let anybody walk in our service, sit down in a chair, stay through the whole service, and they leave and, and they go out of here thinking, nobody really talked to me, nobody sat with me, no one said hello. Do not let that happen. Now, I did let you off the hook. I said, if you go sit with somebody and they get up and move, it's okay. All right.
right? Don't creep people out. <laughs> it's okay if they, you know, just want that. But, but give them the opportunity. So we walked through some house rules. That was part of what we did, just real practical things. And we followed that up with house values. In other words, what are the things we value that are important to us? And that's why we do these things. That's why we follow these kinds of behaviors, rules, things. We do it because of the values. And then this week, we're going to move to the house mission. And that's why we're reading the Great Commission today. We're, we're, we're just backing this up from things you actually do to why you do it to why Jesus gave us that mission. And then next week, when you come back, we're going to do the house hope, which is Jesus himself. He is the hope. So if you do it the other way, our hope is in Christ. He gave us a mission. That's why we value these things. And that's why we do these things that's that's the that's the logic behind this and we're just taking it in reverse order starting with the things we actually do and backing up to jesus that's how we're doing it so again i think we have the scripture revelation 3 20 jesus is outside behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice opens the door i will come into him and will dine with him and he with me he is inviting us to fellowship we want to make sure that happens each and every time that we gather together now real quickly because i've done this two times already i'm gonna do it a third time what can you do to help you're a part of this church you've signed the bible you filled out the card you said i want to be a part of this church how can you help how can you contribute and so i just give you four quick ideas one make sure that you pray Pray for your church family every single day. You might do it in a real generic way, like, Lord, bless all the people that are a part of Harvest Light Church. You may do it like that. You may get very specific. You start naming people because you know them and things they're going through. But just pray for your church family every single day. I have said before, we are a prayer-powered church. Everything happens because of prayer. Could God do it without us? Yes, but he's chosen to do it through us, and that connects us to him through prayer so pray number two talk up your church just talk it is such a blessing to me sometimes during the week when i'm talking to some of you and and you tell me something like well i invited my friend or i invited my neighbor or this person you know bought a house from us and so i just i was telling them about our church because that's just talking up your church and it's real informal. You don't even have to plan it. But just when you're talking to people, just invite people and, and tell them what we're doing. And, you know, if you, if you tell people, look, at 1030 we meet, but you can come early and get breakfast. For some people, that's the draw. You know, right? Not the whole, what are you doing at church? Because I haven't got that figured out yet. But you have breakfast? Oh, well, maybe I can be there. Or if you tell them what we're doing this afternoon, you know, we got 20 pounds of chicken. 20 pounds of chicken. There's going to be a lot of chicken there this afternoon. There's going to be all kind of food. There's going to be dessert. We're going to have baptisms. It's just going to be a great fellowship together. For some people, that's enough. I mean, it's, it's not in a service like this, but it's on a Sunday afternoon. They'll come to something like that. So just talk up your church. Number three, I, I ask you to give. And I ask you to give for a lot of reasons. And one of which is right now is uh, summer's the time when for most church fellowships, their giving kind of drops and their expenses go up. You know, and churches have to plan for that, so they kind of plan for it over the year. Well, we didn't have a lot of time to plan because we started everything, you know, just 14 weeks ago. So that's what we're looking at. Our expenses are going to be up this summer because we're going to do a lot of things with children and students. And, uh, and, and we want our, our giving to, to just match that or exceed that. So let me encourage you to give. And you say, well, I don't have, I'm giving all I can give. All, I, all I'm saying is just pray about it, think about it, give what you can. And, and the Lord will take care of it. I've always believed, every church I've ever served, that God always provides the money we need to do the things He wants us to do. But He does that through you. Don't think it always happens through someone else. It happens through you. So you just pray, you just think, and you just give, and the Lord will take it from there. And then the fourth thing that I would say, if you want to help, if you want to contribute, find a place to serve. Find a way to plug in. 
Uh, it might be, you know, showing up here early in the morning and helping doing setup. It might be something you can do during the week. It may be on the planning side of this. It could be something we're not doing yet. Okay, but find a place to serve, find a place to plug in. The church becomes my church when you find something to do. That, that's where the belonging starts to happen. You, you speak of the church. I go to that church. Then you get involved. You start serving. All of a sudden, it's my church. I'm invested. I belong here. And so find you a place that will do it. Now, let's get to our scripture for today. So this is Open Door, the house mission. We're going to read the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. So this is what Jesus says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Would you pause with me for prayer? Father in heaven, you sent your son to be our savior. He told us about you. He demonstrated what you're like. He built a bridge between us and you. And then he gave us something to do. He gave us a commission, a command. And today as we think about that, we need you to help us understand it because of the way it reorients our lives. So guide us now as we think. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're here today and you kind of got life figured out, y'all know what I mean by that? Because yeah, uh, some of you are like, no, I don't have anything figured out. I'll get to you in a minute. So there are always those people that have life figured out. You know, they, they kind of, they got their pattern. They, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for years. And in their mind, what they're doing this week, they're going to be doing next week. What they're doing this year, they're going to be doing next year. The way things have been the last 10 years, they kind of think it's going to be more or less the same the next year. They, they kind of have life figured out. And so what I want to say to you is, if you read those words that Jesus said, the things we just read, here's what it'll do. It'll destroy your plan. It'll completely reorient your life. It'll take whatever it is you've got figured out, and it will just change your life. If you get tuned in to what Jesus said. Now, if you're not one of those people, and I saw heads going a moment ago, you got life figured out, and people are like, mm, no. Okay, if you don't have life figured out, good news. Jesus has got something better for you. He's got something, and I'm telling you, it works. Look, when Jesus, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, this is one of the problems. People come to church, and they hear a verse like this, or they see it on the, the board, or they see it on a wall or something, and they're like, oh, that's really good. That's for the church. That's for the preacher. That's for those people. And they don't take this personally. And I want you to take this personally. Jesus didn't say just to the church or just to special people in the church. He said to you, go into the world and make disciples. And so I want you to take that personally. So if you're here today and you say, I don't have life figured out. I have no idea. I'm not even sure what I'll be doing next next week, and I'm sure not positive about what I'll be doing next year. If that's you, then I want you to know Jesus can reorient your life. He can put you on a path and in a direction that will move you toward Him every day for the rest of your life. So whether you think you got it figured out or you don't, if you listen to Him, He can reorient what you've got. So I'm going to walk you through this real quick. There are four parts of this. First part is this. There's only one command here. You read those verses, there's only one command. And that command is to make disciples. That's it. One command. 
If you want to know why we're here, so we're not, we're not um, hiding anything from anybody. We're not beating around the bush. We're not waiting till you kind of get hooked and then we're going to tell you the real deal. No, this is everything up front. This is what we are about. We are about making disciples. So if you want to know what a disciple is, you say, well, I've heard of that. I'm really not sure what that's about. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus Christ. To be a disciple of Jesus is to follow Him. It means you love Him. It means you care about what He says. It means you care about what He taught. It means you try to do the things He taught. It means you try to imitate Him in this world. You are uh, the follower. He is the teacher. You are the learner. That's what it means to be a disciple. And in the church, and for us who are part of the church, that's our one command, to make disciples. There's a phrase, you've probably heard it, to know Him and make Him known. And uh, I tried to find the source on that. There are a few places where someone says that's the source. No one really agrees, but it's just a great phrase. It's a great truth. As a believer, life is about knowing him and making him known. Well, making him known is discipleship. That, that's taking someone else and helping them learn to follow Jesus. And he's involved in that entire process. That's what we're about. Uh, Justin was talking about me the other day, a few Wednesdays ago. He probably talks about me more, but I don't know all that, Justin. But he was talking about me the other day because I, I, I kind of did something that was weird to him. Um, we room together sometimes we go on trips. We've been on a lot of trips together, haven't we? A lot of trips. And so um, I wake up before Justin, and I just do what I normally do when I wake up, and that's pray. So I'm over sitting in the chair just praying, and Justin wakes up and sees me doing that, and it was kind of weird, huh? Yeah. So, but that's what I do every single morning. Unless I just have to roll out of bed and go right then, when I wake up, I pray. I can't not do that. Does that make sense? For me, it's like when, once the, the, the thoughts start forming in my mind in the morning, I'm just talking to Jesus. That's what I do. I just, I just know He's there. I know He hears me. And I just start talking to Him. I just start praying. And that's the beginning of it. And, and even though that's a little bit odd if somebody has to see it, that, that's what I do. And, and it's because I love him, and it's because I know him, and it's because I know what his presence is about. And when I wake up, that's... the good part of that is that lasts forever. It never goes away. We talk about death sometimes and what, the, what that's about. And, and the truth is, if you're a believer, you live in the presence of Jesus right now. If your body stops, if your body expires, you don't, you're never separated from the presence of Jesus. You go from His presence now to His presence there or then, however you want to describe it. You never are separated from the love and the presence of God, ever. So it lasts forever. Again, all of this is about discipleship. So what we're doing when we do discipleship is we're telling people how they can know the maker of all things, how they can know the one who knows them best, how they can know the one who actually can lead them in the best possible way in this life. That's what we're doing. There is a better way to live. So what I did this week, I tried to think about who are the key people? Who are the people that really helped me early on discipleship and learning to walk with Christ. And I'm just going to name a few of them. And I know you don't know them, but I'm just going to tell you a little about them. But the first was my student minister, and her name was Diane. And, and Michelle and I kind of came up in the same church and in the same student ministry. And, and to this day, my student minister was one of the best Bible teachers I have ever had. Okay, and, and I just, I'm telling you that because I know I was blessed because I went on to go to Bible college. I went to seminary. I've been in a lot of churches. I've listened to a lot of preaching. But I'm telling you, my student minister from my high school days was one of the best Bible teachers I've ever had. I still got a box of notes 
like a shoebox. Y'all keep stuff? Okay, I got a shoebox full of notes, and I don't show anybody because my spelling was terrible in high school. No, it's not that much better now. But I kept those boxes and I kept those notes because she just she was so good at outlining the Bible. And I just listened and I just learned. And what I, one of the things I remember, not just the way she taught the Bible, but the way she took time with me. She spent time with me. She prayed with me. She helped me learn what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ every single day, not just when you're at church. That was huge, huge for me. Uh, you've heard me mention my friend Bruce. Bruce Wood. Bruce was, I don't know, Bruce was... 12, 15 years older than me. But he, he made me feel welcomed in the church. And then he didn't just talk to me at church. You know, he, we did things together. You know, we, we, we played basketball. We played church softball. We went on trips together. We just did that kind of thing. And, and Bruce, again, was one of those people that helped me learn what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus every single day. You know, some, I, until I really met Diane and Bruce, I didn't know that people would actually stop and pray if you weren't at church. Like, they pray on Tuesday. <laughs> they pray together on Thursday. That's a little odd. I, I had just never seen that before. And they were showing me what the Christian life looked like in a different context. And that was so different for me. And then, Michelle, you remember Pam Thomas? Here's what Pam did for me. Pam, Pam listened to me. She listened to the things I was talking about. And she, helped, and she was kind of a sounding board for me. And she was helping me understand some of the things that... God was doing in my life. And, and so part of what I'm telling you is, I'm telling you God kind of just put some people in my life and all of them helped disciple me in some way. They all contributed in some way in me understanding what it means to know Jesus, to love Him, and to follow Him. <clears throat> and then I had to talk about my wife too. Because, again, we just kind of grew up together. But here, here's what happened. Y'all already know I liked her, right? So, so I did this. I was like, you want to pray? That's a good line, by the way. So we, we prayed together. We were at church, and we just stopped to pray together. She sat in the chair over there. I sat in the chair over here. And I listened to this girl pray. And I realized very quickly that she knows Jesus in a way I don't. Like, there's something about the way she talked to Jesus that I didn't know anything about. And it's, it's kind of that way with your friends. Like, you'll know this. Like, you've got a friend, and you relate to that friend, and then a third person comes along, and you see your friend differently. Your friend acts differently because of the third person. And, and that person brings something out of your friend that you don't. And you see it like that. That's what happened with me, with Michelle. When she started praying and talking to Jesus, I found out something about Jesus I didn't know before. And that was a huge part of discipleship for me. It was a huge part of coming to know him. And then, so I just thought that was so great I married her. <laughs> Decided to keep her around forever. <laughs> so that was it. But those are some of the people. And so, again, there's only one command, and that one command is to make disciples. And if you're sitting here going, I don't know how to do that. I need some help. I'm, I don't know about discipleship. I'm just telling you, it's not as hard as you think. Just be yourself, love people in Jesus' name, be genuine in your walk with Christ, and just whatever He's told you and shared with you, just try to pass that on to someone else. That's where you start for discipleship. Let me give you the second one, because there's only one testimony in this passage, and that one testimony is baptism. It just works out perfect that we're doing baptism today. Isn't that great? 
you know, we planned to do this weeks ago, and here we are. We had that, that Mother's Day graduation week, and that put us here. So the day we're talking about the one testimony's baptism is also the same day that we're going to do baptisms, and we have two of them this afternoon. And that baptism, that's the Jesus way of testifying to your faith. And you can go around and tell people. I want you to tell people. You can talk to people about your faith. That's a great way to do it, too. You're supposed to do those things. But Jesus said that we are to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because baptism is just something that, that it, for people that understand what it is, it's beautiful. And for people that don't know, it gives them questions. And I can't tell you how often it's happened when a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old sees a baptism for the first time and they, they go straight to their mom or dad. And they're like, what is that? Why are they doing that? And is it my turn? Can I get in the water? Right? Nine-year-olds love to get in the water. And so they want to know. And it just automatically it just builds a conversation about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And so we've got two that will be baptized today. And they are demonstrating faith. And so baptism, if you've never seen it, never heard it before, it's just we're going to take the person, we're going to put them all the way under the water, buried in the water. We're not going to leave them long, just a few seconds. We're going to bring them right back up. And the symbolism is you died, you were buried, and then you came back to life. It's, it's a physical thing, but it represents a spiritual thing. Because that's what baptism is all about. I died, but Jesus brought me back. Spiritually, I am alive today because of what he did in my life. And baptism just shows that, the death and the resurrection. So when you come today over at New Life and we do the baptisms, just, just celebrate that. Because it's people sharing their faith, showing their faith through that one testimony. Now, you remember in the scripture, there was a fellow named John the Baptist, right? Yeah, he baptized a lot of people. That's why he was John the Baptist. And he did a baptism that was for repentance. And what that means is John would say to people, the Messiah is coming. The promised one from God is about to be here. If you want to get ready for him, go ahead and repent of your sins now. And so people came to John and they said, hey, I hear you. The Messiah is coming. I'm going to repent of my sins. I want to be ready because this is going to be good. And he would baptize them and it was a baptism of repentance. Okay, we don't really do that anymore. Baptism still includes the idea of repentance, but for us, baptism has been infused with more meaning. It's not just I'm turning away from sin. It is Jesus Christ has given me life. And so baptism has taken on a bigger meaning for us. Now, here's what I want you to, I want you to know about baptism. You do not have to get cleaned up enough before you get baptized. Let me just say that again. Because it's all through the Bible. Because this is what I've run into in churches. They, they have people and this person says, I believe in Jesus and I'd like to be baptized. And the church would say to them, well, you've got to go through this class. And we're going to do this class. And after six weeks or eight weeks of this class, then you can be scheduled for baptism. Can I just tell you that is nowhere in the Bible? Nowhere. So if you believe in Jesus, you want to be baptized today. If I got water, we'll do it. Okay, I've baptized people that still smell like beer. Uh, they didn't even have time to take a shower, so we just put them in, in the water. So, again, you don't have to get cleaned up. Jesus is not waiting for you to get cleaned up before you believe. He's not doing that. He's the one that cleans us up. He's the one that changes our life. And so the moment you believe, as soon as you can be baptized, that's when we're going to do it. I mean, for us as a church, we've been baptizing pretty much every month for years now. If we had somebody, it was every single month. We could do it more than once a month, but we've been at least doing it every month. And one of the ones being baptized today, um, we didn't schedule that till last night. 
I mean, it's just, just, but last night was the talk about it, and today will be the baptism. Baptism, it's that quick. Look, if somebody's here today, like this morning, and they believe today, and they want to be baptized this afternoon, we're not waiting till next month. If they can be there, we'll do it today, right? That's it. That's the testimony. It is through baptism. All right, let me get you to the third one. The third one is there's one work, and that one work is teaching. Now, I do not want you to think of teaching like a classroom, okay? And again, my wife is a teacher, and I love teachers and what they do. And, and you know, what I can tell you about teachers is most of them go to work way before school starts, and they work way after school is over. I mean, teachers, but, but that's classroom. And I don't want you to think of this as classroom. Do not want you to think of that as all. How do we teach? Yes, we tell. Yes, we communicate. But it's more than that. We're going to show people what Jesus has shown us. We're going to help people do what Jesus taught us to do. We're going to do it, and we're going to help them do it too. So I can give you three words if you really want to think about this teaching side of it. This is what it looks like. It looks like time. It looks like the text. And it looks like trial and error. I know it's more than three words, but just the T words. Stay with that. Time, text, trial and error. Okay. So time, if you're going to do discipleship and you're going to be involved in teaching, it will take time. You will need to spend significant time with people if you're going to teach them what Jesus taught you. I'm not talking about hours and hours and hours, but it's going to take time. It doesn't happen quick. It doesn't happen in a 20-minute Bible study or a 30-minute small group. That's a start, but it has to keep going. It takes time. And text, we're talking about the Bible. Your meeting, your, your time together, the things you talk about, it has to be informed by the Scripture. It's not just hanging out together. It's not just we enjoy spending time with one another. It is something that connects back to the teachings of Jesus Christ or the teachings of God's Word. And then the trial and error side of it is this. Let's say you're spending significant time with someone, you're talking to them about the Lord, and they seem to be doing so well. There'll come a time when they'll let you down. Like they're, they're not, it's not always better and better, up and up, everything's great. You know, people in their walk of faith, they do really well, and then there's times when they, when they go downhill. There's times when they fail. There's times when they let you down. You don't give up on people because they had a bad day. You don't give up on people because they had a bad week. You know, you don't stop doing discipleship just because the person's, you know, going through a rough time right now. You don't do that. So there's going to be some trial and error. There's going to be struggle. Everything really important that's ever happened in your life, as far as faith is concerned, has also been a struggle, right? Everything. It's not easy to follow Christ. I've tried to tell people for years, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you something. I didn't make that up. I didn't learn that on my own. Jesus said that. He said, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. It will cost you something to follow him. And so when people are doing that, again, it's not just always up. It's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. Those are the kinds of things that happen. But you've got to find ways to keep going. Now, today there's a phrase that so many churches use. They talk about life groups. You've heard about these? I don't know a better phrase for it. If we come up with one, we're going to coin it. It'll be our word, okay? But, but life groups, that's, that's an idea of, of a small group of believers who get together on a somewhat regular basis. Maybe it's every week. Maybe it's every other week. It could be every day. But they get together regularly, and they pray together, and they get to know one another, and they help one another in their faith. That's what life groups do. One of the challenges we're going to have, and we do have this very day, is how to form those kinds of groups in the kinds of meetings that we do. Because we meet at the Harris Center, you know? 
know, we're here on Sunday. We're here on Wednesday. We can't show up here on Tuesday or Thursday or Friday night. We don't have the space. So forming those groups where they get together and do those things, that's one of our challenges. And every one of you needs to be involved with a small group of people. It can be organized or it can be informal. But however it happens, it needs to happen because you need a group of people around you that you can know them, they can know you, you're praying for them, they're praying for you, and together you are learning what it means to follow Jesus. That is one of our challenges and will be one of our biggest challenges going forward. But that's how you do life together. Uh, I started reading a book this week called um, Everybody Always by Bob Goff. And if you get a chance to read it, it's tremendous. But Bob, Bob, um, they lived on one side of the street and the house across from them was for sale and they wanted that house. So they bought that house and they moved across the street. And when they moved across the street, they had to sell their house. But you're not just selling a house, you're, you're actually gaining a neighbor, right? Because it's just across the street. So they actually interviewed people. You know, they were like checking people out. They weren't going to sell the house to just anybody because it was across the street. And they sold the house to a lady named Carol. And, and Bob writes in his book, and I just love the way he put it. He said, we sold the house to Carol and we did not know the blast radius of her love when they sold her the house. I love the way he put that. Like, like she set off a bomb when she moved in, just the, the love this lady had. And he, he writes about, you know, how his kids were growing up and, and this lady, Carol, across the street, she was just, you know, she, she, she would do things with the kids and they'd come over, they'd tell stories and she'd feed them cookies. That's what gets people to come over, cookies. And, and you just, you know, they just love this lady. And they got to know her through the years. And then uh, it got to the point that Bob would call Carol just to check on her. She lived by herself. He'd call her, check on her. And then, you know, he says one day he calls her and, and uh, she doesn't sound the same. And she said, you know, um, Bob, I, I went to the doctor and, and I've been diagnosed with cancer. And, and Bob, you just have to hear Bob speak or read his books to kind of know his personality. So Bob gets off the phone with Carol, goes to the store and buys walkie-talkies. Y'all remember those? Some of you here are like, what in the world are you talking about? Walkie-talkies, those little things. Before cell phones, these were fun. They were kind of like CBs, but walkie-talkies. And, and so you hit the little button, you know, there's, there's static and all that, and you talk, and they're over there. It only works so far, right? So if you don't have a neighbor, you know, if your neighbor's not close enough, you couldn't do it. So Bob went and got two walkie-talkies, showed up at Carol's house on that day, gave her one, tried to explain to her how it works. He said, I'm going home, and you will hear me on this. Right, right. So he gave that to Carol, and when he got back, um, he got his walkie-talkie out, and he was like, hey, Carol. And he waited. And Carol came back. She was like, Bob, is this you? Who else is it going to be, Carol? I just brought you a walkie-talkie. No one else has one of these on this break. Of course it's me, Carol. And so th this, is, this is just Bob's personality. He couldn't take away her cancer. He couldn't change any of her circumstances. But he could say to Carol, Carol, you're not going to do this alone. And the walkie-talkie was a very real way of, of making that evident. And so that went on for years. You know, he just kept batteries in the walkie-talkie. She had a long, drawn-out, um, uh, extended uh, fight with cancer, uh, several years long. They did um, their neighborhood. Bob started a parade in his neighborhood. Like They'd go down to the end of the cul-de-sac, get a bunch of balloons, start making noise, and they would do a parade to back to his house or whatever. That's what they would do. And so one year, they kind of knew this might be Carol's last parade, so they made her the queen of the parade. You know, just, just wonderful stuff. And then toward the end, Carol goes in the hospital and Bob and his son got back in town 
and um, and they, they kind of knew the end was there. So Bob went and grabbed Carol's walkie-talkie, went up to the hospital, found Carol. Uh, she's asleep, so he just put the walkie-talkie in her bed. And then he went around the curtain to the other bed and climbed in. That's Bob. You know, he, he didn't ask anybody. Climbed into bed, and he, he writes that you know he just he just prayed for his friend Carol for a while, and then he grabbed his walkie-talkie. Hey, Carol. He said she woke up. He could hear her over there. And then the moment she got her walkie-talkie, she's like, Bob, is that you? <laughs> That's what you do. You know, you just, you just get to know people, and you love people in Jesus' name, and you just do life together. And, and many of you in this room, you know what I'm talking about, okay? We have our family, our family of origin, the family in which we were born. And to some degree, we have our family of choice. You know, the, the family that we married into or the people we choose to spend our time with. Those are extremely important people to us. And then there's really kind of another level to that, and that's your faith family. Because these are the people that are going to be with you forever. Forever. That's your faith family. And so when we talk about what we do together in worship, when we talk about life groups and, and finding small groups and being involved in that, you know, what we're talking about are things that, that they don't just end when the service is over. They don't end ever because that's your faith family. And, and I'm, I'm just I'm speaking on this because we're thinking about the work that we do in teaching. And I don't want you to think classroom. I want you to think about how you live together with people, how you do life together as part of the faith family. Let me do the last one. OK. So there's one command, one testimony, one work, and then there's one promise. And that one promise is, I am with you always. That's what Jesus said. Now, I'm just going to confess this to you because I've read this wrong for years. And I don't know why. Lately, it hit me differently. But you're reading this scripture and Jesus says all this to them. And then he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And if you're like me, you read that and you just kind of skip over that. It doesn't hit you. It doesn't, it doesn't stick. But you've got to understand it from the point of view of the people he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples that they know the Romans killed their friend. He was their Lord. He was their master, so to speak. He was the one they loved. They had followed him for years. All their hopes and dreams were poured into this man. And they knew he died on a cross. He was gone. That's devastating. And then he came back. Then he came back. And he speaks to them and he says, guys, I got something I need you to do. This is what I want you to do. And here's my promise to you. No one will ever separate me from you again. That's what he said. I'm with you always. That's a game changer. There are people in your life and you love them and you hope you're never away from them, but they're people and they can't help it either. You can't always be there for them. They can't always be there for you. But Jesus is past that. You know, he's done that. He, that's over. He says, I'm with you forever. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you. The people that really love you, okay, they do not want to let you down. They don't. But they are just people, and sometimes they will. Okay? 
And, and, you know, if you put a lot of weight on someone, you put a lot of faith and trust in a person, it, it's devastating when they let you down. It is. But they're just people. They can't hold up under all that weight. Jesus Christ is the only one who can hold all of your faith, all of your trust, all of your love, all that burden, all that weight. He's the only one who can handle it. Him. He's the only one who promised that He can provide everything that you need. The people in your life, they reflect that. The people in your life, they remind you of that. But they're not that. He is. And that's why you always have to be able to see past the people to the one who is the source of all things. I woke up this morning reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know this chapter? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. It goes through and describes what love is and what love is not. And toward the end of that chapter, it says, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. So these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. That source of love is Jesus Christ. He's it. So in just a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to pray. Okay, and then after we do that, I just want you to have a few moments to respond to God. Uh, you can just stand where you are, close your eyes and pray. You can do that. If you want someone to pray with you, I'll be standing right there. I'll be glad to pray with you today. But I want you to have time to respond. That's what this moment is for. Because when we think about open door... And we think about what our mission really is. This is the mission we have from Jesus. This is what he wants us to do. So let's stand together and we'll pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for sending Jesus who gave us these words that teach us so much. And as we uh, take these next few moments, we want to turn our attention to you. And God, whatever you put in the minds and hearts of someone here, Lord, let them respond to you. And I pray they'll be closer to you because of it. I pray they'll understand something of your love for them in a greater way because of this moment. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.